0: Night's sheer and CD was uh, sponsored by Mr. Benny Westreich, and this is in honor of his father's Oliva Sholem's upcoming Yartzeit on Hey Ear, very special day. Also, the site of the Arizal, so his father has the same Yartzeit of the Arizal. And, the, and his name is Harav Yeshua, Behmairenu, Harav Yosef Yoiska. And hey, he, uh, he of may his Neshama have a very, very great aliyah to the greatest of heights, and may he channel lots of brachas to you and your family for only much mazel, brach, and hatzlacha, happiness, and good, 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 good things, and everything, both in the material and in the spiritual. Thank you very much for the dedication. Okay, I want to announce I started a series of classes that I'm not giving at Mayon, but I'm giving it at Yachabad yeah, Persian Youth, um, is where the classes are, Rabbi Pe'er's Shul. And that's on Tuesday nights. Um, it's a really, really, really amazing course. I want to call it a course, it's not just a series of classes. Uh, For anybody that wants to study the subject of Mashiach Thoroughly In a very, very, very fundamental way uh, This is definitely a class to attend Um, I'm putting a lot, a lot, a lot of effort And a lot of work into it And it's really, 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 really wonderful So if you'd like to come Participate for men and women It's every Tuesday night um, from eight to, from 8.30 till about 10. It's an hour and a half class. Uh, we gave one last week. Um, you can watch it on Facebook. I don't have it yet on my own Facebook. Bezrat Hashem will get it on, but you can look at the um, uh, Chab, uh, CPY uh, Facebook and watch the class over there. And then come tomorrow and attend the second class. Be'ezus Hashem next week on Tisha B'av. it's not going to be on Tuesday, we're going to have it on Wednesday, but the consecutive few weeks on Tuesday night is when this class is, it's an ongoing class, and really, really so important for everyone to study, to learn, to know uh, what is really, really going on. It's not discussing much world events, it's just focusing on the fundamentals of what is Moshiach spiritually, mystically, on all levels and unifying a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of things. It's really, really a very comprehensive course and um, really, really great class to come to. Thanks. So tonight, it's the week before Shabbos Chazon, the Shabbos, which is the last class before Tisha B'av. Next week, Monday night, is Tisha B'av, and hopefully we're going to be in Yerushalayim celebrating a very, very big party, and no one is going to have patience or time to come to my class. So um, there won't be a class then. So we're going to talk not about Tishabov, but we're going to talk about what is even more important than Tishabov, but rather, let's say, is the essence of Tishabov, which is the birth of Moshiach, because the sages tell us that Moshiach is born on Tishabov. The moment the Pesach Hamikdash was destroyed, Moshiach is born, whatever that means, the neshama of Moshiach, So that's the real real essence of Tisha B'Av And um, in the times that we're living in right now And what happened in these three weeks It definitely has to steer us all On the one hand we all have agony and pain From the um, horrific event that happened last week Friday In Eretz Yisrael And Hashem should be no came Hashem yikon damam From all those pure 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 souls People who lost their lives on the other hand, it's very mysterious that this whole thing erupted in the three weeks. But it's not like Golos in general, where terrible things happen across the world. Here, what's really happening, and it seems to me, and me observing it, that there's something, the mountain, Har Habayas, and I mentioned it last week, Har Habayas is quaking. Har Habayas is shaking. And we know that that's the place, Temple Mount, with the Beis Amidish is supposed to come down. Today, the idea, as it, uh, I, I coined the phrase, the mountain is smoking. We see already the smoke of the geula. This is, <laughs> we're already, the, the, the coming, the geula has already, the fire of the geula has been lit. It has been ignited in the world. And really, if you think about it, uh, the fact that you can blame it on anti-Semitism, but the fact that there is such a stark clear, barbaric revolt going on in Israel. For for absolutely no reason at all. When you put metal detectors to just assure that people are safe, that's the most sane, normal thing that should be done. Yet, you have thousands of people in college campuses in the United States applauding the violence of the Palestinians. Why? For what purpose? I mean, do you have any justification? Nothing, nothing at all. You can clearly see that there is a spiritual, mystical thing across the entire world to try to fight the Jewish people right now. And because subconsciously, it is clear to me that the nations, the people of the world, and those rooted in unholiness are getting very, 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 very uncomfortable with what is about to happen and as they can sense that the har bias is slipping out of their hands and that's the reason why the jordanians and the arabs the palestinians and all of them are going crazy in other words they are right they are wrong consciously but they are right subconsciously there is something very deep going on and as a result of that we have to focus our our attention we need to wake up as Jews. We cannot sleep. Spiritually, I'm not talking about you know, waking up and taking arms. That's not the Indian now. We're talking about the third base of English is not going to be built by us. The third base of English is going to be built by Hashem. It's going to be built by Mashiach Tzedkenu. If it's going to be by, uh, built, built by us, Rammam says Mashiach is going to build it. So we need to have the revelation of Mashiach. It's not our job. Our people will make suggestions. We should go up there and bulldoze the place and put a third base of English. That's not according to Torah. The base of is built by Mashiach Tzidkenu. That's Mefarish Allah in the Rambam, or according to Rashi, it's coming down from above, and or as some say, it's the unification of both these things. So that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about preparing ourselves spiritually for com- for the coming of Mashiach. In that we are alert, we are excited, and we are in a state in which if Mashiach would walk through the door right now, we would be comfortable and going to greet him. That is where each and every one of us needs to ask the question. Am I comfortable to grow, greet Mashiach Tzadkenu, the greatest human being ever to live? Am I ready for the gilu yalokus, for the greatest divine revelation in all of history, as it will reveal itself, and all of its power? Is my body ready? If I have things I need to clean up, I got to clean it up quickly. But more than anything else, shouldn't I fill my days, my thoughts, my mind with wholly positive Deeds, mitzvahs, and good deeds, and what we call in Yiddish, you say, as much as you can right now. Because one thing is for sure, Moshiach is not going to come and tap you while you're snoring in bed and ask you if you slept enough already, if you're ready for Him. Once it happens, it's going to happen with such force and with such power that and sitting and yawning and rubbing our eyes and trying to wake up in the midst because we're so disconnected is not exactly the best state to be in. We should be waiting with breathless anticipation for the moment that uh, Mashiach is going to come. Based on that, I'd like to um, speak about that preparation. What does it mean to prepare for Mashiach? And there's a powerful, a powerful lesson in this week's parsha. The haftorah that we read in Parshas Devarim is. Um, the famous Haftorah of Chazoin Yeshayo, the vision of Yeshayo. And we know that usually the Haftorah is connected to the Parsha. The theme of the Haftorah, of the person of the Navi, is similar to the Parsha. So, over here, within the Haftorah itself, the last Pasuk of the Haftorah is the Pasuk Tzion, b'mishpat Tzion, which is referring to the Zion, Yerushalayim, Tzion, the Mishpat. Through judgment, tipada, she will be redeemed. Chazal explained judgment, mishpat means through Torah study. That means through increased Torah study. Tzio, Yerushalayim, tipada, will be redeemed. Veshaveha and her captives, bitstaka through doing tzedaka. Through charity, through righteousness and the like, acts of goodness and kindness, we will... Redeem her captives, both the city of Zion and all of her captives. That's the last pasuk in the haftorah, and we always know there is a rule: not tchilasan b'soyfon, v'soyfon b'tchilasan. It's a rule stemming from Sefer Yetzirah, the book of formation, attributed to Avram Avinu. Not tchilasan b'soyfa means the beginning is wedged in the end, and the edge and the end is wedged in the beginning. There's a connection always between the start of something and the end of something. So in this week's parsha, we can we soon we're going to see that there is a powerful connection between the first pasuk of Parshas Devarim and the last pasuk of the Haftorah, so that these two are the beginning and the end, and they're wedged together, and they both give us a powerful lesson, particularly primarily pertaining to our time that we're in right now. So to understand this, let's take a look at the parsha. The parsha opens up with Moshe Rabbeinu speaking to the Jewish people. And he is, this is, um, takes place on the 40th year. The Torah later tells us the date, on Rashchodesh Shvat. This is exactly 37 days before Moshe Rabbeinu is going to leave the world. And, and Ela hadvarim ashadibar Moshe, these are the words that Moshe speaks, I'll Koli Yisrael, to all the Jewish people. And the entire book of Devarim. Is Moshe Rabbeinu teaching the Jewish people in that last month of his life, a little over a month, in which Moshe Rabbeinu is primarily first rebuking them, and then he goes on to review many, many of the mitzvahs that were already spoken about earlier. Moshe Rabbeinu reviews those mitzvahs and the like, and then all the way in the end, he gives the Jewish people a new covenant and he prepares them for his passing and for what is going to happen later to them. We have the famous song of Azinu, and then the blessings at the very end, V'zaysa Sabrach, and that's the blessing, Ashaberach Moshe. So really, Sefer Devarim is one long um, Moshe Rabbeinu um, speech, in which he is preparing the Jewish people for his final days. Fine. In the first Pasuk it says, so the Torah describes to us where Moshe Rabbeinu was, where this took place. This um, teaching, this book of Devarim, was related to the Jewish people. Where did this gathering take place? And Moshe Rabbeinu taught. So the Pasik tells us, Be'ever yaridain. it was on the other side of the Jordan River. That's on the eastern banks of the Jordan River. Last week we had mentioned the Jewish people were on the western side of the Jordan River, which is the land... No, Eretz Yisrael is on the western side of the Jordan River in order for the Jewish people to go into the land of Israel, with Yehoshua, they were going to cross from the east side to the west side. So the Pasuk says, Be'ever ha the other side of the Yardain, Bamidbar in the Midbar, and so on and so forth. It goes on to talk about exact location, which Rashi says is not really location. The Moshe Rabbeinu is hinting to certain rebukes that he wants to rebuke them by saying those names. Fine. But definitely, the first the first place it mentions Be'er Hayarden on the other side of the Jordan is describing where they were. But over here, there is an obvious obvious question, and that is the location that they are that they are standing right now, poised to enter the land. And the Torah refers to it as Be'er Hayarden, the other side of the Yarden. This very location is referred to just. One pasuk earlier, the last pasuk in Sefer Bamidbar, the very same location is identified by the Torah with another with another name. How does the Torah refer to this place? Elah <speaking in Hebrew> Mitzvah I am reading the last pasuk in Sefer Bamidbar, the Book of Numbers. Elah mitzvah is These are the commandments and the laws. Hashem biyad molche that our God commanded in the hands of Moshe, El Bnei Yisrael to the Bnei Yisrael, Ba'arvos Moav, in the plains of Moav. Al Yardin Yerecho, next to the Jordan, across of, of Jericho, of Yerecho. Okay? So again, it does mention Al Yardin Yerecho, by the Jordan River, but before that, it, it tells us something very important, that the place is called the plains of Moav. Ba'arvos Moav. Moav is a country, the Moav territory and the Jewish people were right now in an area next to Moab they didn't go into Moab but outside of Moab there were flat lands. they were called the plains of Moab and over there is where the Jewish people had camped this was their last encampment before they crossed the, Yar- the Yardin. so the question now is how come the Torah is talking about the same place but switches the location the reference to the location suddenly mysteriously takes a switch is changed in in the end of Masay, this area is referred to as the Plains of Moab and over here it's suddenly called Be'er Ayarden, the other side of the Yarden. Now, what's the question? You think if you really want to give us the location, if you're telling us on the eastern bank, it doesn't even say east, but if you're saying it on the other side of the Yarden, well, the the, 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 the flows from from uh, north to west to north to south. It's a southern flow. It's coming down from the north. So there is the, the west side and there is the east side for, a very, for many, many, many miles. Now, if you're telling us in the other side of the Arden, you don't exactly know where because it's, it's a very long area that a whole long, the length of the Jordan, it's like the side of a river that goes for a very, very long time place. Right. So if where particularly, it was next to in the plains of Moab. That's a far more specific location. Now in Bamidbar, even though it says Al yarden next to the Jordan, the next to the Jordan is a pirush. It's an explanation on what it said earlier. It said earlier, Moav, at the plains of Moab. So it's saying, and where is that? Next to, the, next to the Jordan. Or maybe it wants to tell you that in which part of the plains of Moab, closer to the Jordan River. Maybe the plains of Moab were, you know, there's a little bit of a wide space. So it's closer to the Jordan. Why is it that in the beginning of Devarim, the pasuk ignores that we are in the plains of Moab and calls the place Be'ever um, HaYardain on the other side of the Jordan. And there's no mention that it's Ba'ar You might say, well, we just had spoken earlier in the last book and called it Ba'arvos Moav, So now we don't have to repeat it again. So all we're saying is Be'ever HaYardain. Not, not that good of an answer, but especially if you read a few psukim further, guess what? You get four psukim later, pasuk hei, the fifth pasuk, fifth verse in Devarim, it repeats again the location, be'e vera yardain, in the other side of the Yardain, be'eretz mo'av in the land of Moav. So you see the Torah is telling us that it's in the land of Moav. Be'eretz mo'av. For whatever reason, the Torah purposely omitted in the beginning of Elah HaDvarim that this is in the plains of Moab. Because you see, it does say it a few psukim later. Now, even when the Torah does repeat it a second time, and it does tell us that it is in the plains of Moab, it says that it was in the land of Moab, but it says it kind of as a secondary thing to Be'ever Hayarde. See, the main emphasis is the first thing, Be'ever Hayarde. We're We're on the other side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab. So you see, even in pasukay, it's different than in Bamidbar. In Bamidbar, the main emphasis all over is that that place is arvos Moav, the plains of Moab. We're yarden next to the next to the next to the Jordan. But in 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 Devarim, first of all, in the first pasuk, it doesn't mention at all that it is in the Moabite land or in the vicinity of Moab. Even when it does mention it, it mentions the Moab connection as a secondary thing, and the main thing is that it is Be'ever HaYardain on the other side of the Yardin. It seems like such a little detail. Would you believe that we can possibly, in the next 45 minutes, open up the deepest secrets of existence in this little diuk? That Hasidus can see. It's like unbelievable. And that shows us just how don't be ever, like, don't ever overlook a tiny little stone or a little pebble in Torah. When you see a little pebble, a little stone sitting this way or that way, take notice, pick it up, look what's beneath it. Because it's possible we're gonna miss a gem of gems. I have not been excited about a class. In a long time like this, I hope it comes out as what as much <laughs> as as excited I am about it. But there's something very very deep over here. But first, we'll talk about on the simple level, because always the greatest depth is always in the simplicity. You see, in Sefer Bamidbar, when the Torah is talking about the whole parsha that the Torah is telling us in Bamidbar, when it's describing what's happening, these are the Torah and the mitzvahs. That, that, was, that, that, that happened in the land of Moab, right? It's that, these are the mitzvahs that Moshe Rabbeinu taught them right there, Ba'arvas Moab, the, the narration over there is narrating what happened until this point. In other words, the Torah is describing the story of the Jewish people, really the story of creation, from Beratius, the entire narration of the story, going into Shamos, the story of yes Mitzrayim, the giving of the Torah, the entering into the Midbar, the building of the Mishkan, the mitzvahs that were given in the Mishkan, all the events that happened while they were in the Midbar, the spies, the the, the campaign of Korach, the the, the story with Balak and Bilaam, and everything that was going on, it's all one long narration of what was. That's until the end of Bamidbar, It gives you the full 42... 42... um, um, uh, the journey of 42 encampments where they went where they rested where they went and so on and so forth but it's all about what was what is different in, in A HaDvarim is right now Moshe Rabbeinu was turning around and he's looking to the future he's addressing the Jewish people that are about to enter into Eretz Yisrael so even though till now we were focusing on the journey through the Midbar, on what was, now it's a new chapter. Now we're coming to a whole new thing. What's the, what's happening right now? Now we're approaching Eretz Yisrael, and we're going to enter into Eretz Yisrael, the Ramban says, you look in the introduction of Ramban. I'm going to read a point, his introduction to Sefer Devarim. He says, Sefer Azeh, this book, in Yona Yadu Ashu Homishni Torah, it is the repetition of the Torah. by Moshe Rabbeinu Olav Ashalem, Moshe Rabbeinu on him is peace. Nichnas Okay, the emphasis. Moshe Rabbeinu is speaking to the generation that's going into the land. In other words, right now there's a change. We're now focusing on what's happening forward. Roiv mitzis at hatsri Yisrael. All the mitzvahs of the Torah that the Jewish people will need. And he explains why he had to rewarn them now that, that, that it has to happen. But again, the main emphasis over here is in the Sophorin who says the same thing. That this was a prep talk or pep talk to who? To the generation that is going into the land of Israel. And Moshe Rabbeinu was telling him all this because he's not going to be with them. So therefore, he knows that he can't watch over them. So he's giving them forward warning. Now, all the things that are mentioned in, in Bamidbar, even the stories that are from the middle of Parshas Chukas, where the old generation had already all passed away, and it was the young generation, Rashi says everybody was ready to go into the land, yet the narration was still a narration that has to do with the era, with the period of time when they lived in the wilderness, when they lived in the Midbar. Here is where Eretz Yisrael begins. This is where we're looking forward to Giula, to going into Eretz Yisrael. So here we can understand in the simple, in the simple, simple idea of why the very same place is called and referenced by different reference. In last week's and Parshas Masai, since over there the Torah is discussing this very place, but as the conclusion of a 42-pronged journey, a 42-stage dest- uh, um, journey of going and coming and going up, which was all part of a of an ongoing trek through the desert. So the there, you want to emphasize the name of the place as being a place that's not an Eretz Yisrael. This is the last place outside of the land of Israel where they were. And that is Arvos Moab, the plains of Moab. Right at now... We're turning over the page. Now we're thinking about entering Eretz Yisrael. We're putting on a whole different set of glasses. We're a whole different lens. We're looking ahead at the entry into the land of Israel. The place themselves that they're standing on changed. They had, they're looking at the very place that they're standing on, not as the plains of Moab, but at, when Moshe Rabbeinu gets up to speak, the very, the very reality... The very space that they were in was redefined. It has a new meaning now. What is it called? The other side of the Jordan. Why is the area called the other side of the Jordan? Other side of the Jordan means, why is it called other side? Because the other side is Eretz Yisrael. And this side is the other side. Meaning, they're close to Eretz Yisrael. They're just about to enter. They're in the other side of the Yardin. They're ready to go in. So... But that's why it's now called the other side of the Jordan, because now is where we start the preparation to enter into the land. And the Torah Dafka, on purpose, emphasizes over here that they were added, and on purpose, it's omitting that it was Ba'arvos Moav. Because if you would be seeing it as Armos Moav, you might be thinking that this is still a a a a what's going to happen now is still linked up with what happened before. The Torah wants you to cut. No, what happened before happened before. And what's going to happen now is a new thing we are now preparing to enter the land of Eretz Yisrael. This will also explain why even though in a few psukim later the Torah does retell us again that it's in the land of Moab. It's okay for the Torah to say it but right at the beginning at the opening verse the Torah wanted to emphasize that this is not related to the Moab world. This is related to Aver HaYardayn. This is this is pre geula. All of our eyes, hearts, and minds are to the redemption. Meaning, all of our hearts and minds and soul and aspirations are to enter Eretz Yisrael. And here is where Moshe Rabbeinu was speaking to them. Now, let's that's a simple a simple explanation. But now let's go into the very very depth and depth of what that really means and what does that really say to us at the crucial time that we're in right now. And here is the idea. You see, when the Jewish people traveled in the land of, through the Midbar, and they were going from place to place, they carried the Aron, they traveled uh, with the Mishkan, thousands, millions of Jews through the desert, we know that, that that trek through the desert was a not just as punishment. See, simply it was a, it was an it was punishment. Words, they were supposed to go into Eretz Yisrael a while earlier, they were supposed to go into Eretz Yisroel right after, you know, before, before they sent the spies in the first year. They messed up. So because they messed up, Hashem delayed their entry into Eretz Yisroel and they were held back. So therefore He schlepped them around. He schlepped them around in the Midbar kind of as a punishment. That of course is true. But there is a much deeper, deeper intention. There is a much deeper intention in the Jewish people being in the Midbar. The reason that the Yidden went in the Midbar, that itself, traveling in the desert, and going through all those places that they went, was a preparation for Eretz Yisrael. In other words, in order for us to have the experience of Eretz Yisrael that, uh, that Jews were supposed to have, they needed as a preparation to go through the Midbar. And that will enable them to experience Eretz Yisrael the way they're supposed to. Why? Now, obviously, all of this could have been averted had they gone in with the Meraglam, not sinned, they would have gone in, they would have experienced Eretz Yisrael. But yet, there was something gained by the fact that they sinned and they traveled in the Midbar, there was a greater gain. And let's understand what that is. And that has to do with the general theme which we've discussed many times. That the Pneumius, at the very, very inner, inner, inner point, all the failures and the sins that the Jewish people have done which caused a delay in the realization of the ultimate plan. After everything is said and done, that too ultimately is for the benefit. Because as a result of these mistakes that we make, and we have to go through certain purifications, we grow as a result of that experience, and that growth enables us to experience the redemption, of the ultimate good, in a much deeper way. Similar to the idea of Adam and Chava. Had Adam and Chavah not eaten from the tree of knowledge, they would have never known any sin, they would have been the ultimate beneficiaries of God's light for all of eternity, but it wouldn't have so deeply become part of them, because of what? Because they didn't work it through. They didn't work out every other possibility. So therefore, they made a mistake, They, they sinned, they fell into darkness, and so on and so forth, and for thousands of years, they're struggling back they're, they're struggling and finding their way back to purity, finding their way back to God. And then ultimately, when they're finally going to achieve the great lights of Ghana, then it's going to be much deeper because of the work that went through in achieving it. And that's the same thing with all these things. So the traveling in the Midbar for 42 encampments and that whole thing had a purpose and a very deep purpose. I'll read to you over here the, a, a, a little teaching. Of Zelman of Liadi in Sefer Lakute Torah. So he says in the beginning of Parshas Nasai, he speaks about this idea. And he says, first of all, let's understand what was going on when they traveled in the Midbar. I mentioned it in other times. When they traveled in the Midbar, they were defeating the, the forces of impurity, the forces of darkness that reside in the desert. The desert is actually the capital of evil in the world. Kedusha, holiness, the symbol of, the capital of holiness is Yerushalayim. The symbol of holiness is a place of life. Because holiness is life. Holiness is giving. It cheers, it gives. Hashem is kind and giving. And the entire sitra de Kedusha, the entire side of holiness is all giving and sharing. To help, to give klippa which means that which is against God, that which is unholy in the world, is the epitome of selfishness and self-absorption. And therefore they don't give anything, they want to keep everything to themselves. That's why the place where the klippa is in this world is a place that doesn't share, that doesn't give. It doesn't produce anything. Everything. And that's the desert. In the desert, the land is barren. It is dry. There is no moisture, no life, nothing can live over there. And the only creatures that live in the desert, in the real, 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 real intense desert, is just snakes and scorpions, as the Torah describes the midbar, Nachar the Akrav, a place of snakes and scorpions and the like, serpents and scorpions. So it's a very, very dark place. Spiritually, we need to understand that the Arabian desert, where the Jews trekked at that time, was the head. Quarters, literally the headquarters of all forces of darkness in the world. So, there, so he says over here these words. Hear he, 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 these words. The Jewish people, the Aron, and the Jewish people in the Midbar. In order to subdue as a Midbar, the Midbar, a they had to subdue these forces. They broke them. They literally shattered and broke. There was a spiritual war. When the Jews marched in the desert, it was a powerful spiritual war. They carried the Mishkan in the 42 travels, which is one of Hashem's names, the name of 42, it's the name of Anabakach, it's 42. This was through the godly revelation Shahaya that was in the Mishkan. In other words, how did they fight? Because there was such powerful presence of Hashem in the Mishkan, Kishanaso <speaking in Hebrew> Bamidbar, when they carried in the midbar, Melele <speaking in Hebrew> Nichnu. So when they, when the unholy is confronted with the powerful presence of Hashem, they they they, they, they can't fight. They are they, broken. They're subdued. <speaking in Hebrew> like it says in the pasuk, Doneg <speaking in Hebrew> Just like wax melts before fire, so too God is like a powerful fire the forces of unholiness, melt away before Hashem's presence. and This is the line that I wanted. And the gain of this subduing, this was a preparation for the future. In order that there should be able to be godly revelation in the world, in the Beis HaMikdash, in order that we should be able to channel Hashem down, there should be a vivid, tangible revelation of Hashem in the, in, in the world, where, in our lowly world, which before the, the, we, we built the Beis Migdosh and the Shina came down, our world is dominated by the forces of Klippa, of unholiness and of darkness, that's how the Arizal, is. Yartite is coming up this week, describes this world as a world, mole, swarming with Klippa and Sitra Achra on the other side. If we would not go into their headquarters and bomb the daylights out of them, We would never have the strength. They would be too strong and they would interfere with with Gilo Simple words as he described somewhere else. Imagine a Jew coming to the Beis Amikdash and trying to bring a korban, trying to daven, trying to connect Hashem and in his mind he would experience all kinds of distracting thoughts. He would experience all kinds of ugly thoughts that would come into his or her mind and he couldn't daven in the Beis Amikdash. Why? Because the clippers would be shooting um, throwing stones at us, meaning spiritual stones, disturbing us, would not allow for Kedusha to reside. So in order to weaken them first, we needed to blast them. But where did we blast them? In their headquarters. Once we broke them in their headquarters, after that 42-stage uh, encampment, they were weakened enough that we can go into Eretz Yisrael and experience Godly revelation in Eretz Yisrael, ultimately in the on Amikdash and all of that. So obviously it was a preparatory stage that was needed for the light. In other places, he adds, it's explained even more than this, that the ultimate light, the ultimate light, because really you can ask a question, okay, if all you need to travel is in order to defeat darkness, so that you can have light, who asked you to create the darkness in the first place so you have to defeat it so you can have light? Don't make the darkness and you won't have the whole problem. The answer is, when we battle and we defeat darkness, we bring out much deeper strengths in ourselves and that, from above, causes much greater light. There's a famous phrase that we all know comes from, from, uh, from Keheles, I think. Ki Yisroin ho'or menachoshech. Yet in, <Hebrew> yeah, in Keheles. Shlomo Melech says, the advantage of light that comes from darkness. When darkness is defeated... First of all, there's a famous statement in the Zohar. When the other side is subdued, the God's glory is revealed in all worlds. A very high revelation of Hashem. The transcendental aspects of godly light are revealed when we crush the klipa, when we break the klipa. Or there's another idea. Even more than that, when we take darkness and convert it, there's two things, we can either destroy the darkness, or we can take darkness itself, turn it around and make the darkness itself shine. When you take the spark of godliness that's in the darkness and reveal, turn it around to Kedusha, whoa, 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 whoa. The lights that come from that are unbelievable. So the 42 journey in the Midbar was a journey through darkness, with the purpose of defeating the darkness, to increase holiness, converting the darkness to be able to, to, to experience extra holiness, far more intense holiness in, in, in the base of English. And one thing is for sure, without that journey, without that preparation, we would not have reached the greatness which we had in the first base of English and in the second base of English. So that was necessary. Now similar to that our exile that we're in already for the last 2,000 years, in which we've also traveled the desert, but the desert, the spiritual desert of the world, we've gone to every country in the world, been subjugated to such persecution, we've been under such challenge, such difficulties, such obstacles in our way, and Jews fought ferociously, heroically, one place after another place to retain our identity, our, our, who we are as Jews, our mitzvah observance, our amunah and our faith. And think about that. After 2,000 years, we're still a people in the world who daven and learn and keep Shabbos and mikveh and kosher and all that's unbelievable. But what have we done? Here's also a, a great depth. We've also made it that we've confronted every kind of darkness, broke it or transformed it. Broke it or transformed it. There are so many of the people in the world that were once opposing us that are now assisting us. The place you can see it more than anywhere else is in the old, former Soviet Union. Where there was the greatest war against Shmira Satora the Mitzvahs. In today's days, there are so many institutions that are assisted, assisted by those very people that have broken their I mean, I spoke about Putin many times, in which he himself has given from help and assistance to to build communities, help build schools and the like in Russia to re that's like that's what we're talking about. Converting the darkness into light. So we don't see it. To us, it looks like a little thing, but the the tremendous light that's revealing above, which is going to be revealed when Mashiach comes, unbelievable. Unbelievable, unreal. That's what it is. This will this will explain also. According to this, that oh, so what happens? I'm sorry, I didn't. What happens as a result of all of this? Once we confront every darkness, so when we, when we once we experience then the coming of Mashiach, once Mashiach comes, then we know one thing: that the coming of Mashiach is going to be an eternal geula, a redemption that's going to last forever. And it will never, ever, ever, ever fall apart. The future redemption is going to be a redemption la'ad forever, u netzach for all eternity. Why? Why is it going to last forever? So simply going to say, one can say the reason why when Mashiach comes it's going to be an eternal redemption is because Hashem is going to destroy, Hashem is going to kill Literally, the Satan is going to be killed. The Malach the angel of death, is going to be killed. Hashem says, I'm, going to, I'm going, to, uh, Hashem Hashem is going to circumcise our heart. He's going to defeat, He's going to destroy, He's going to break, He's going to remove the Yeh Sahara from our hearts. So when there's no evil inclination, and there's no evil in the world, and there is no Tuma in the world, there's no impurity in the world, so then why, why should the Beis HaMingdash ever be destroyed? But that's not the real reason why the Beis Amidush won't be destroyed why the Geulah is going to be forever, the third base Seminus is going to be forever. Because then, it's a technical thing. In the earlier times, we had challenges, we had various different obstacles, we had temptations, we had all kinds of things that stood in our way, and and, and when Mashiach comes, these things won't exist anymore. Oh, so we won't be bothered anymore, so there won't be anymore the possibility for it to be destroyed, but that's a technical thing. It's much deeper than that. When we say that the future redemption Is going to be an eternal redemption We mean There isn't Possible for it to ever be broken For it to ever stop For ever to end The reason is It's only because We've gone through the exile It's only because We've stretched through 2,000 years Of such intense opposition Why? Because what we've done is We've taken every possible darkness And done two things First crushed it and then in many cases even converted it. So now what happens is, what's the worry? One day, what's going to happen? Darkness will come, some force, some type of persuasion will come, like the Greeks came into Eretz Role and persuaded the Jews to stop being uh, Jewish and to start following the Greeks' way. You'll say, after Mashiach comes, that can happen. No, before we went into this exile, there was a Greek philosophy that can tempt us, because we never ever refined it. Once after Mashiach comes, we've been through every kind of impurity and and transformed it, so then there's nothing that you can't have any more a destruction, because there isn't any more a darkness that we can fall into, because all darkness was converted to light, not because Hashem converted it, because we converted it. It's like a person who's who knows that you know certain things can tempt him, and therefore you keep away from these things. Keep away, because you know this thing can tempt me. What happens if a person has been through all the temptations, and either one of the two, either has not fallen by it, he's been faced, lived for a hundred years, with temptation around them day and night, and has remained rock solid, and didn't fall for the temptations. This person has nothing to be scared of. Because they are strong enough to resist every temptation. They've been there, done that, and know that they can handle it. Or, even if they failed, a person who has failed and been, God forbid, um, 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 fallen into the dark, but then they've done tshuva and they've come out of it. They've been rehabilitated. They're not either eventually and they get really, really strong. It doesn't speak to them anymore. They've been there. They've had it. They've enjoyed it. And then they find out that it's really emptiness and it's nothing to offer them. So they inherently reject it. The reason why after Mashiach comes, it's going to be forever because there's no Sahara in the world that we didn't deal with yet. We dealt, with, we dealt with every possible Yitzhahara and beaten it already. So therefore, it's going to be an eternal giyula forever and ever. That is why when the Jewish people went through the 42 encampments, the last encampment that they went to was called Arvos Moab. As I mentioned earlier, the plains of Moab. What do the plains of Moab mean? Moav means... So it says like this, Arvos Moav is the darkest, darkest... Evil possible. In other words, if, if we're saying that the reason they're traveling through the, the, the various different encampments is to face the possible challengers and to beat them and to destroy them, we can understand that as they journeyed, it kept on getting stronger and stronger and stronger. They took on a more challenging foe. The last and final test and challenge was the darkest one. Kabbalah it says that Moav, from the word Av from the now it's Rosh Chodesh of, but Moav comes from the word Av, father, and that's why they named she named him Moab because he was born from her father, the daughter of Lot. And in Kabbalah we know that father is the first of the ten sefirot, the first of the ten powers. It's the holiest power. In in Kedusha, it's holy. But we know Zelo one opposite the other, God made. So in the unholy. The power of chachma, of klipa, is the worst type of klipa, the worst, most powerful, the most, the most difficult, the most challenging klipa that there is. Even worse than amon. Amon is the power of a bina. Because amon means, comes from the word neimos. Neimos means pleasantness, delight and pleasure. And we know that when you have a bina experience, when you understand something in your bina, you experience delight and pleasure. Moav is Chachmah, the first epiphany of an idea. But in the unholy, it's the powerful energy, unadulterated energy of impurity against God. Moav is a very, very ugly klipa, very, very unholy, very intense. Arvos, the word Arvos, which simply translates as plains, also means Melushin Erev, which is darkness. Arvos Moav means in Moav itself. It's the darkest of Moab. So we're talking about the most ruthless of anti-holiness. That which is the most... And what do we find? The Jewish people had a terrible, terrible fall in Moab. 24,000 Jewish men fell when they, with the daughters, with the Moabite girls when they sinned. It was a terrible plague. It was a very... Because it was a very, very difficult, clipa, A very, very dark place. And that's where they went. It's interesting, the previous, the, the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's father, whose yard site is also in the Chodesh of Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, great Makubal, tells us if you take a look at when the Torah describes Arvos Moab, it says that the Jewish people camped from a place called Beis Hayashimos, Ad Avail Hashitim. The area where they were last week's parasha, the place where they camped in Arvos Moab was Mi Beis Hayashimos from an area called the to, to avail Hashitim. So he explains the mystical. He says it's the lowest place. Take the word Yeshimos. Yeshimos, first of all, comes from the word Shemama. Shemama means desolation. It is the ultimate place of desolation. Also, he says, the word Yeshimos is put together of two words. Yesh maves, there is death. Or Yesh mois. Which means that there's a yesh. Yesh means the ultimate klipa, the unholy. Its power is that it's arrogant. It's a yesh. It's the opposite of ayin, of being nullified to Hashem. It doesn't have any humility. It's full of himself. And as a result of that, Misa, they're disconnected from God and it's the mokim, it's the ultimate mokim place of Misa of death. That's called yeshimos. What does it bring? It brings to avail. Avail means mourning and sorrow. Chas for when the people are in, in mourning, a person who lost a relative is called an avail. So sorrow, mourning, and that's what we find. In that place, simply, there was a desolation. 24,000 Jewish people died. More even, if you think about the ones that were killed. The Magaifa, 24,000 died. But when the Beys didn't kill, they killed, like over... Rashi says, about 160,000 Jews were put to death. I mean, it's like horrible but what happened over there. And simply, the Jewish people were in mourning. It's a very dark place. That area. Aravos is the darkest place. But the Jewish people rectified even that place. They took a beating. They fell. They got hurt. But like Gullus. Gullus has a terrible impact on us. It hurts us. It breaks us. We, have, we go through. We come out bruised and injured. But ultimately in the end. like When a soldier goes to war. He's going to come back bloody. Gullus is a time. It's a difficult challenge. It's a bloody war. But in the end, what did we do to Arvos Moav? What did we do to Arvos Moav? Arvos Moav, we don't remember it as a place where the people died. What do we remember Arvos Moav as? The place where Moshe Rabbeinu taught the entire Torah to the Jewish people. Repeat it, Mishnah Torah. In other words, he says, what did we do in We converted. We converted the clip the unholiness to a place of Kedusha. Holy, Gavaldi, wonderful. So we gain, what do we gain? The advantage of light that comes from darkness. Wow. Great. But now the question then becomes: This is only leading up to the question. What's the question? If now we are ready to enter Eretz Yisrael and we begin the new sefer, and the new sefer is Eladvarim, these are the words that Moshe Rabbeinu was speaking, which is imparting words to empower the Jewish people to go into the land of Israel. He's preparing them. And what did we say now? The how that Moshe Rabbeinu the Torah completely ignores the Arvos Moav. The Torah doesn't mention that that place is called the Plains of Moab. The Torah refers to it as Ever Hayarne, the other side of the Georgian, referring to this, this is the other side of Eretz Yisrael. It's close to Eretz Yisrael. We're not talking about this place as a dark place. We're talking about this place as a place that's annexed or ready for the Yidden to go into Eretz Yisrael. Oh, didn't we just say before that the ferocious struggle with darkness... Is what prepares us? The great light of the Geulah comes from all the darkness. It comes from all the struggle. If that's the case, why is the Torah ignoring? Quite on the contrary, the Torah should have very proudly stated where were they standing? They were standing, and over here is where Moshe Rabbeinu was telling them, it, Look what we've done. We've converted darkness to light. Now we're ready to enter the land of Israel. How come the Torah now omits it? and doesn't want you to focus on that. It only wants you to focus that we're entering Eretz Yisrael. So here there is something very deep and very powerful. It has to do with something else that we find. We know that when Mashiach will come, it says, we will mention Maskirin Yetzirah Mitzrayim. There's a debate, a question in the Agada. we speak about it. If we are going to mention Yetzirah Mitzrayim even after Mashiach comes. Because once Mashiach comes, we're going to have such a great geula. Is it still going to be worth for us today's days? We make a whole to do, we make a seder on Pesach, and we make and every day we mention Yitzias Mitzrayim. But once Mashiach comes, we're going to have so much of a greater geula. Are we still going to talk about the ancient redemption from Egypt? So we know that the halacha is that we are going to even that even Ben that even after Mashiach comes that's what the Chachamim say, <laughs> that even in the Mashiach, that's the opinion of the Chachamim, we are going to mention it's right And it says, the reason is, because as great as the future redemption is going to be, where there won't be evil anymore in the world, Hashem is going to remove all the darkness, no evil. But since there is something special about struggling with evil, that when that, Characterizes the going out of Mitzrayim, but does not characterize the future redemption. In the future redemption, we've struggled with evil in the past, but once we're redeemed, once the sound of the shofar is here, once we build the third, the third base of poof, Tuma avim evil will depart from the world forever. It will disintegrate like a puff of smoke, and we will watch it. We will watch all of evil disintegrate in the sky Shh. the sashluch bin metzul I'm going to be cast away in the depth of the sea gone forever but when we went out of Egypt we went out of Mitzrayim we had constant daily fight struggle with the Sahara. they didn't have to have, they confronted Amalek and then they had this challenge and that challenge and there is something special about as we spoke earlier subduing unholiness converting unholiness once Mashiach comes, all of that won't be there anymore. That's why when Mashiach will come, we're still going to mention Yitzias Mitzrayim. However, here's the question. But even if after Mashiach comes, even after Mashiach comes, when we mention Yitzias Mitzrayim, even after Mashiach comes, when we mention Yitzias Mitzrayim, everybody agrees that it is only a secondary thing that the mentioning of Yetzirah Mitzrayim is not going to be the primary focus. The Geulah the of Mashiach is going to be the main, the main thing spoken of. Yetzirah Mitzrayim is going to be like a little side thing that we're still going to remember. But here's the same question I'm asking. If we spoke earlier that all the greatness of the lights on the future and the, great, the greatest lights we can only achieve when we struggle with darkness and we convert darkness to light... So how is it that when Mashiach will come, the memory of the conversion of darkness is only going to be a secondary thing. It's not going to be primary. We would think that the main thing we should celebrate and the main thing that should be on our minds is the conversion of darkness. But yet, as we see from here, that it's a secondary thing. And the answer is, and this is the chiddush of tonight's class that we've never learned about before. And here is a very, very important idea. As great... And as wonderful that it is, and as powerful, rather, I shouldn't be wonderful, it's not wonderful, but powerful. Why I'm saying it's not wonderful? Because it's not a picnic fighting with darkness. But as powerful as it is to convert darkness to light, And as we spoke in many classes, the source of darkness, the root of the klippah, the root of the unholy is sourced in a very high place. It's just that it collapsed. It fell down. Like we once spoke, that Esau is older than Yaakov. He's born first because the shorish of the unholy is, is in a sense sourced higher than Yaakov and in a higher place. That's true. And therefore when we convert darkness to light, we have an added light that we wouldn't have had when we're just... When we're just doing good things and we're not faced with challenges, that's true. But that's only true to a certain degree. There is even a deeper truth. Once we are done with the conversion of, of darkness and we are elevated through the darkness to a much higher place, then we're going to enter into a whole new era, into a whole new experience. And what are we going to enter into? we're going to enter into the source of light, not the source of darkness. And as great as we've always spoken about, that the source of darkness is higher than light, today we are saying that really, really, hear this? That's the chiddush tonight. Really, 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 at the deepest inner, 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 inner essence of God, the source of light, is higher than the source of darkness. And therefore, ultimately, ultimately, as great as one's pleasure, as great as we can increase the the delight and the purpose and everything by combating the demons that there are in the world, that's wonderful. That that picks us up very high, but it's only a preparation for a time when there's going to be just pure light without struggle. Let me give you a source to that and an explanation to that, and you on the, and we should get an understanding of how rich this idea is. In the Medrash in Berechias, I quoted this in one or two Shirim in the past. There is a Medrash in Berechias in the end of the second chapter, the second Perek in Berechias Raba. It says that. Rebavua, Amar says, Metchilas at the beginning of the creation of the world, Tzofa haKadosh Baruch Hashem looked b'maseim shel tzadikim. This is the one of the most astounding medrashim that there is, I have to say. It's meaning one of the most difficult to comprehend medrashim. It says that God looked at the deeds of tzadikim u'maseim shel rishayim and He looked at the deeds of the wicked. As it says, va'aretzai sasayu vavayu the world was chaos. That's the deeds of the wicked. So Hashem is looking at the deeds of the wicked. Then it says, "Va'yomer lakim yehi are... It says, Let Hashem, Hashem said, Let there be light. Eilom asayim shall tzadikim. These are the deeds of the tzadikim." So again, instead, standing in front of God for all the future generations, He's looking at all the evil and violence that the wicked have created. He's looking at all the righteousness and good that the tzadikim have created. We don't know which one God wants. You hear, you hear a word of the Medrash, and I wonder. I don't know. We have, do, do anybody know which one Hashem likes? Does He like the violence of the wicked, or does He like the the, the, the deeds of the Tzaddikim? In b'maisa elu, then b'maisa We don't know. With God, we don't know. How are we to know? Ah, when it says, that God saw that light is good, so we see that God desires the, the deeds of tzaddikim. Obviously we cannot say that what the medrash means, even though we did discuss this, this is showing God's transcendence from all concepts that we even can in any way imagine we've discussed and explained this in another explanation many years ago. But today we're going to look at it from a different angle. And that is, obviously we cannot say that God desires the wicked, the, 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 the evil. You can say that Hashem created the world, for the act that happened this Friday night in, 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 that in Moshev in Israel, the murderer who killed three people in cold blood. That's the deeds of the wicked. To say that God wanted that in His world, and that's why He created it? Whatever. It's a, whatever, whatever. We don't understand what's going on. But to say that that's what He desires, God forbid. What then? what we mean the deeds of the wicked means that when the wicked do wickedness and then they do chuva and then they we know when a person does chuva from chuva comes from a very deep place in their soul and as a result of that they convert the evil itself becomes a merit the sins themselves donos the sins the intentional sins becomes merits and those, intent, those merits are very, very bright merits. Very powerful merits. To the point that the sages say, the place where the Baal stands, the Tzaddik can't stand. So now the Medrish is questioning, which one does God want? We don't know. Is Hashem deriving more pleasure from the work of Tzaddikim, from the righteous? People who never sin, they always do mitzvahs all the time, they're doing pure, pure, beautiful mitzvahs. And then there are people who are doing averas. And bad stuff. But then they do tshuva and they convert it. That's called the deeds of the wicked. The deeds of the wicked are not ugly deeds of murderers. We're talking about the deeds of people that made mistakes. And then they convert it. Oh, which one? That's a good question. Now we understand what the question is. But what does the medrash tell us? Rebbeinu what does the medrash tell us? What is the ultimate, what does God really want? And what did he create the world for? The deeds of the righteous. Which means... What does that mean? Let's understand this deeply. As high as the conversion of darkness to light reach reaches in God to evoke a pleasure, a powerful pleasure, a deep, 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 sensational pleasure It evoke such a pleasure in the Abishter. What pleasure? A pleasure that comes from the conversion of darkness to light. Even deeper than that is the essential pleasure of the Abishter having from a mitzvah pure mitzvah not when the mitzvah is converging dotting to light dark light, just the essential aspect mitzvahs are related to the abister's essence Torah mitzvahs holiness and that is in a sense more core essential than, than than the conversion of darkness to light I was talking to my son-in-law before this year because I was trying to find a good example to explain this and from the, from the discussion that we had uh, we, I came up with he came up we, did, we, we came up with a, we crystallized this as a as a, a thought like this um, an, an idea like this you know a parent can have pleasure from their child, and there 's two types of pleasure there 's the pleasure you have when you watch your child accomplish things. A child has accomplished, he has accomplished, he has accomplished gone through you know he reached, he went through school, he's achieved he you know hes become he became a doctor, he became a lawyer, he became a rabbi, he became made something and the, the father mommishels and he has nachos from the achievements and that's all what we see as achievements from struggle, struggle. But then there's something else. you have you're holding a little baby, your, your child when the baby was born for the first time. When you hold your baby when the baby was born for the first time, there is there's no accomplish there's no it's not it's not struggle, something that was accomplished. Here you have pure essence. You're delighting, this is just you. This is you in your deepest place. This is your baby, this is your child. There's no darkness here, there's nothing. This is just pure, pure essence. We're trying to translate that into there's two yiddin. I want I'll give an example. We put on fillin every day, we dava and we put on fillin every day. And we know oh, we're, we're half-minded. Our minds are not really there. We put, we do, we think sometimes, do the mitzvah, sometimes not. We're not really appreciating the idea we're putting on tefillin. But then you have a guy... Who's putting on tefillin after 50 years? The guy didn't put on tefillin. A yid meets him somewhere and he speaks to him. And, he talks, and suddenly he puts on tefillin, and this guy's so excited. He breaks down crying. Sometimes you see a yid, you can see sensitive neshamas. You put with a yid on tefillin, sometimes he didn't put on 30 years. He's bawling, he's crying, his neshamas pouring out. Uh, which one is obviously greater? The Balshuva. This guy's returning. His appreciation for tefillin is like unbelievable. Right now, he's neshama, oh, uh, it's so powerful. Very good. But let me ask you another question. A 13-year-old who watched his daddy put on tefillin every day, every day, every day. And this is his first day he's putting on tefillin. And he takes the tefillin, he puts it on. Now, he doesn't have the same powerful, emotional, deep, longing like the bal He doesn't have that at all. It's not there in his mitzvah at all. He doesn't have that appreciation. He doesn't know what it means to be without it and wanting it. it but there is something so... What is he doing? This Is, is it... My father wears tefillin. This is his crown. This is... I'm putting on tefillin. It's not conscious, but there's something so like... He's claiming his identity, his essence. Which one is Higher. You can say, the guy who's crying is coming back after darkness. That's more of an appreciation, accomplishment, overcoming. There is something so deep in the purity of the mitzvah as it's done like at the essence where there's nothing mixed in. The 13-year-old is putting on a tefillin the first time. Really, you have it every day you're putting on tefillin, but we lose it because our minds are so carried away with life. But what is the idea? What am I just trying to bring out? As much as we appreciate the, 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 the struggles and the transformation and the conversions that happen when we struggle with darkness and we overcome it and we transform it, and it's very powerful and very great, but even deeper than that and even higher than that is the essential pleasure that God has, the essence of Hashem, has from the pure mitzvah that a yid does. Just mitzvah, when it doesn't involve any struggle, when it doesn't involve any, any conversion. And when is that going to happen? When are you going to have pure mitzvah? Not unadulterated mitzvah. Mitzvah not, not engaging darkness. Mitzvah not involving any conversion of anything unholy. Just an expression of Hashem's deepest hobbies. As, our, as he's watching his children doing them. And we are doing them in absolute connection to Hashem. Now we don't know what we're doing. When, when, when will that happen? When Mashiach comes. When Mashiach comes, we are going to do mitzvahs in its purest state, without any, again, the mitzvah there is not going to be measured by how much you've overcome. That's not the idea of that. Then it's just mitzvah in all of its Purity pure, simple kavana. The pure divine essence is gonna flow through that mitzvah, through the woman lighting Shabbos candles, through the tefillin that a yid is putting on. All Shabbos is gonna be the purest light of Hashem's deepest essence of these mitzvahs, shining forth with all their brilliant light, without any distractions, and without even the idea of converting something. Nothing converted, just pure essence revealed. Wow. So people wonder, like do I really want Mashiach? Isn't there something great about the thrill of fighting? Today we fight, we fight, we overcome, we fight, we have another eight we fight. We're so programmed to appreciate just overcoming, overcoming, transforming. And that's great, that's wonderful, that's great. That's what we're doing in Gulas. But but, but but the realization and the understanding that once Mashiach comes, we're going to enter into a whole different zone. And then we're going to go much deeper. We're going to go higher even than the source of darkness. We're going to go to where light is sourced than the essence of the Abishter, higher than the source of darkness, and do mitzvahs in that place. Whoa, 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 whoa. That, that, that is revolutionary. That is something else completely, completely. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to experience the essence of goodness in its purest, purest place. Now let's understand something. We cannot come to that deep essential state of goodness Unless we first The initial, the goodness that we're capable of now Our neshama before it comes into this world Or when we were in Eretz Yisrael Is a very limited kind of a goodness We're not connected to essence So when we're doing mitzvahs We're doing them externally We're doing them of all kinds of other reasons Not because of our essence at all We go to gulas. We are challenged we are obstructed. We have difficulties. We have, we have so many obstacles. We have to fight and fight. And we have to crush darkness. Then we have to convert darkness. And as a result of all that battling and all that fight, we convert darkness to light. And what does that do? That gives us increased light. Much more than we had before. Once we have that increased light, and that infinite dimension then we can rise even higher than the infinite to the pure essence. And in the pure essence is where the purest, 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 purest of pure, pure light, without any anything else but the essence of Hashem Himself, without any inyanim of converting and overcoming and transforming. That is the ultimate geolah. That is the ultimate Mashiach. That's the reason why once Moshiach comes, we're not going to mention Yetzirah Mitzrayim. We are going to mention it, but very secondary. It's there, because it's an accomplishment. The fight and the struggles with darkness are an amazing accomplishment. It brought us to a very great place. But life after Mashiach comes is not boring. Life after Mashiach comes is going to be so rich, so much richer than we can ever fathom today. We don't even know what means this deep, essential pleasure of the essence of Hashem, not through struggle. It's a whole different reality. That's the reason why. And let me just conclude. That's the reason why. When the Torah is now, at this point, talking about, when the Torah right now, at this point, is discussing the Jewish people as are about to enter Eretz Yisrael, as great as Aravos Moav is, as great as all that that represents the conversion and the and and, and the, as we spoke earlier, the really dark elements of Moab, forty-two journeys, all that struggle and all that we've managed to convert, and we needed that so that we can go into Eretz Yisrael. Right now, when Moshe is beginning to talk about the avoda, that's after we will go into Eretz Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu suddenly switches his complete focus. It's not Arvos Moav; it's Yarden Yerecho. It's an avoda that's just focused on light. It's just focused on the, what is truly, essentially true, beautiful, deep, and one with God's purest will. That is where, that's where it's at. And if there's something that we in our generation need to switch our minds to as we're waiting for Mashiach, is this idea to get excited and recognize that we're about to experience goodness in its purest, unadulterated goodness, and we, and, 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 and we're not—it's not going to be measured by the challenges. That's only a a limited, it's a limited mind that we have today that only measures something by the amount of hardship and struggle you had in order to get it. It's true. Today's days, it's a reality and we can't free ourselves from it. But the Mashiach world is a whole different, what we might call it, it's a whole paradigm shift. It's a whole different, it's a whole new experience of MS and of truth that is not, that doesn't, doesn't prove itself through darkness. Because we've been through the darkness, we've done that, and we move to a much higher place. Over here, we're not talking anymore about arvo small of darkness. Darkness will fade away. We're looking only Yardin Yerecho, the other side of the Jordan. We're thinking, we're looking at Eretz Yisroel, forward-looking, seeing only the good. This also explains how the last Pasuk I mentioned earlier of the Haftorah is connected to the beginning. Because the, the Pesukim, if you look in the Haftorah, Right before the Pasuk Tzioin B'mishpah Tipada, the Pasuk is speaking about the tikh, the end of days, how we make a tikkun on the aspects of the Golas. I'll give you an example. Hashiva Sheftayach Kavarishayna. I'm going to return your judges as they once were. In other words, there was a time that you had corrupted judges. Now I'm going to restore them back to the original ones where they were good and holy. And Hashem says, I'm going to purify Yabor I'm going to cleanse you and purify you. So we're talking about purification. The last Pasuk talks about one thing, Mishpat and Tzedakah. Mishpat is Torah. Tzedakah really means all mitzvahs. Torah and mitzvahs, not as a converter of anything, but pure Torah and mitzvahs. Mishpat and Tzedakah. the Bemishpatipada. When we're redeemed, we can experience pure Mishpat, pure Tzedakah, Shave'a B'Tzedakah, but not a tikkun on something bad, not a rectification on something negative, just pure Torah mitzvahs. The greatest thing ever can be just a pure mitzvah. Not, not, n- nothing else but the purity and purity and purity of a mitzvah. And just to conclude, in the Haggadah we say, <speaking in> Baruch <Hebrew> we thank Hashem, Baruch Shomer Avtachos, we thank Hashem, and we say, Baruch Hu, Chishev that the Abishter calculated the end, and he pri- and he said he's going to take the Jewish people out, and then he took it, took them out. So there's a peerish that says that we thank Hashem. Why are we thanking Hashem? Because it says that the, the pleasure that the abishter has from our conversion of darkness to light is so great from our Avodin Gulas. Because really the question is, why do we have to thank God for keeping His promise? He made a promise; He's going to take us out. It says the pleasure that the Abishter has. HaKadosh ha- Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The pleasure that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for, ki- for, for, for 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 from the Golos is so great that hypothetically, it's possible that he would have li- that he can leave us in this forever and ever. Of course, there's so much tainuk and there's so much pleasure. So we thank the abishter that Hashem realizes that no, as much as this gets him pleasure, but he has to take us out of Golos the, the end has to come. That's what it says. But based on what we said before, this lesson that we are saying is not a lesson only to us. But the Lubavitch Rebbe says an amazing thing. It's a lesson also to, to, to HaKadosh Baruch In other words, it's, Hashem has to keep what... The lesson is also... Meaning from the level of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Baruch is also a level in the divine. It's not the essence of Hashem. In Kabbalah and Hasidus, it describes how HaKadosh Baruch is a certain divine level. It's not the essence of Hashem Himself. So from the level of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, his thrill, he gets from the conversion of darkness to light. But the Rebbe says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as great as your thrill is, the thrill of the essence of Hashem Himself, infinitely and deeper than HaKadosh Baruch on the essence of the avish, is not from the conversion of darkness to light. It's from, the, it's from the pure emanation of truth and light and goodness. And that's after Mashiach comes. So abishter, you're just going to forego a more external pleasure, for in truth, a much deeper, inner, inner, truer, more essential pleasure, the pleasure of yidden Torah and mitzvahs, pure abishter, pure Torah, pure mitzvahs, without anything there other than the essence completely revealed. This is what we aspire for, this is what we're waiting for. And in our minds, if we can start focusing in, in this state of mind, on goodness, just the the appreciation of good, just because it's good, and how we know what's good? What Torah tells us is what God wants. That's the essence of goodness, and just good for for, for its pure goodness. That is Mashiach thinking. That's the post Mashiach thinking. That's the world of Mashiach, pure light, pure goodness, and that and, and again. And our minds, and I know because I myself am struggling. It sounds boring. Okay, there's no challenge because because I I myself am still struggling, holding on to the gullus, stuck where, where we where we where we where we can't even think like a healthy human being. Think about it. This is unhealthy. This is a has to do with the world system as it is now. That it's boring if you're not if you're not fighting something. But that itself is is is, is kind of a bruise of the gullus. To be able to dismiss all that and start realizing that goodness is at the core, 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 core root of everything is pure goodness and truth and in a manner where that itself is an infinite, boundless, and endless pleasure in which we will go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and deeper for, all, for all of eternity. And that's Moshiach thinking. May we merit to experience this ultimate goodness now, 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 now.
1: i